1: I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us.
0: <laughs> it's
1: probably like getting Great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day.
0: I mean, we say it all the time whether you know there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean um, we're we we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays.
1: Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. I'm saying it this week, not Greg Smith, even though Greg Smith is across from me. Greg, thank you for filling.
0: No problem I, I was here for you um,
1: pitch hitting in a pitch help a guy out you also apparently like crashed and burned on the way into the podcast room to get set up like i oh was God. listening to jacob explain you like destroying your knee on something or or wiping I feel like you hit your
0: knee every single time you go somewhere that that does happen to me quite (laughs) a bit um this time it was not that though it was I these chairs roll on this carpet I went to sit down I misjudged where the chair was and instead of sitting on it I pushed it back with my butt as I was sitting down um and then missed the entire chair excellent (laughs) right where I'm sitting now well I'm glad you're feeling better
1: Thank you. Oh, you guys recorded in here? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool.
1: Well, um, we'll try to make magic happen two weeks in a row. Try to catch lightning in a bottle two weeks in a row. You guys were good, so thank you. Thank you. I so, appreciate that. Um, we are, as I said, in the Hale Varsity offices. I guess I didn't say that, but you said it. We are in the Hale Varsity offices. It is currently 8.15 on a Thursday evening. We are both tired.
0: Much later than
1: we normally record this. There has been a lot of stuff going on today. Um you will be listening to this on a, on a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday or whenever you listen to it. Um, when you listen to it, you will know that uh, two Nebraska football players, Katarian LeGron and Andre Hunt, have, according to a report by ESPN, been um, or face a two-and-a-half-year suspension from the University of Nebraska pending um, an alleged sexual assault and sexual harassment allegations against them. That's all there. We have stuff on our site at Um if you would like to. I am not. I, I know I'm not going to do it a, a, a service by trying to explain everything because it's very intricate. Um, there are a lot of details that I've already left out, um, so just go read it on com. We're not going to talk a ton about it on this podcast. We're just going to mention it here. Nebraska is going to have to answer for it sooner or later. As of recording this, there has not been a statement by anybody from the University of Nebraska except from Um, a spokesperson in the ESPN story that the two have been indefinitely suspended. And they were. They were indefinitely suspended on August 28th is when we found out about it. Uh, According to the ESPN report, they were suspended on August 26th. The incident occurred on August 25th. Um, So according to the ESPN report, Nebraska acted quickly, and they have not been involved with the team. But they are still on campus as uh, of Thursday, someone a source told me that they were still on campus, still enrolled at the university. Um, and because it was an indefinite suspension, they are still on scholarship through the end of the semester. So still a lot of things to get sorted out. But um, we we are here to talk about the football season, which I know is not as big a deal in the context of what's going on right now. But we still have to talk about a it. seller our job. So we're going to talk about... What went wrong this season, Greg, on the football field? Um, we did an, an end-of-the-year roundtable discussion. It was almost like a post-mortem of Nebraska football. Um, and, the, and the first question was, was this season unacceptable? Um, we, we were posed a question before the season started. What what record would be labeled unacceptable for this year? And um, I'm not remembering what you said. I said five. I said anything under six wins. And here we are at five and seven. Do you remember what you said for what unacceptable would be? You were—I can't remember if you were at six or under six.
0: It would. I'm just thinking back. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I assume that I would have said under six, like you did.
1: So, um, it was under six. It was five and seven, which is one win improvement over last year. And Scott Frost was was. Um, careful to say in his press conference after the Iowa game that, that people inside the building can see where it's going and that they've shown improvement and that he knows where this thing is headed. Um, you're, like, shaking your head or, or nodding it's, your head to the side. Ben Stilley said, like, five minutes after the fact, like, yeah, we had a one-game improvement, but also we missed a bowl, so we have nothing to show for it, yeah.
0: which... JoJo Doman said, hey, we did win one more game, so I should provide the other side of that as well. Okay, so here's my thing.
1: Like, I said it's... So the question uh, that, that we did in our end-of-the-year roundtable... Which you can read on Hubersity dot com was knowing what we know now with all the context, what happened this season and injuries and, and everything else that happened this season is five and seven still an unacceptable result. You said you said knowing context, you kind of walked it back a little bit.
0: <laughs> I do I disagree
1: with you completely. Yeah, we're
0: on opposite sides of this, and that's fine um, because I do struggle with it a little bit. And why I was kind of shaking my head as you were kind of laying it out is. I, we we know too much about how it happened for it to fully be a, oh, it's just completely unacceptable situation, but at the same time, it's not okay to have only won five games in a year in which you had better than five win talent, you had better than a five-year schedule, or a five-win schedule as well, and there were at least three of those games, right, where you had double digits and then lost. So I'm still struggling with it. Like I go back and forth on just whether or not I want to label it as unacceptable because I also then, within all of that, know the context of the injuries, um, the various parts of the team being inept um, for stretches, uh, whether it was the offensive line, um, wide receiver play, quarterback play, defense had their moments, special teams all season. Like it's just. Uh, special teams. Uh, sorry. <laughs> we, we talked, full disclosure, we talked a little bit off pod earlier, um, and special teams just continues to draw my ire <laughs> as the more and more I think about this season. It's unacceptable how bad special teams was. 100%, without a doubt, unacceptable how special teams, how bad that was. So, yeah, so I struggle with it. Like, knowing the nuance of of what happened in the season, I really do struggle with it. Because I do think that one of the things that we, and we is just, in general, not necessarily the media, just we, everyone, a collective, I don't think give enough credence to, say, in that Iowa game is, hey, Nebraska struggled to move the football consistently, right? We can all agree on that. Iowa has a pretty good defense. We can agree on that. But... Nebraska was missing a couple significant pieces to their offense. And if you take Scott Frost at his word, and you should in this case, I think, um, Adrian Martinez was banged up, right? So I feel like we sometimes want that offense to – Perform as if it's at a hundred percent full capacity at all times, and it's very rarely been that way. But there are self-inflicted wounds. I said all of that, and a whole lot of stuff to say. I'm still conflicted about whether or not I should label this as unacceptable. I can tell. I can tell yourself.
1: I, I, I have a question for you. If Adrian Martinez is banged up to the point that we both know, put the next guy in.
0: Which has been you've cons- hey, Listen, I'll give you points it's, for this. You've been consistent it's on healthy. that. On In different positions on the team not just quarterback all year hey if this guy's not getting it done or if this guy's not healthy it's time to go with the next guy i do agree with that but there is something to be said about wanting to go out there and gut it out for your team as well it's funny how my my whole thing is like
1: okay but put the next guy in and if your response to that is well um you know what if the next guy can't get the job done as well as the first game i'm like record scoreboard yeah. it's funny that that's my stance when my stance on like coaching staffs and, and keeping coaches around is like continuity breeds success yeah. it's, it, it's it's a funny that kind of but
0: it's thing. also I mean it's and maybe this will be something that it's for today it's probably, it can be a different time we talk about it um deeper is the value and benefits of adrian martinez going through this season and learning through it yeah which I do think have some, some merit, because one thing that I, I feel like I'm already tired of hearing, um, and it's not just Adrian, um, it's from any number of position groups as people start to look forward to 2020, is, oh, it was this way in 2019, um, so that guy's going to be the exact same thing in 2020. That's not how progression and getting better and working hard uh, actually works, um, it's just not how generally how things, whatever I'm saying, that everyone takes steps forward um, and gets, say, a five-point overall like the NCAA football video game, what I'm saying is people do get better, um, so we have to allow for that as well. And part of that can sometimes be experience and growing pains.
1: Yeah, I think the quarterback situation is a lot different. I, I shouldn't just say like, "Oh, put the next guy in if he's not healthy," like because the quarterback situation is different. And, and I 100% believe that. And this is going to be a very, very important offseason for Adrian Martinez. Um, his his flaws in 2017, 2018, excuse me, were. Uh, there on tape if you need to look for him and then this season in 2019 those flaws were exposed by defenses who looked at his tape and found those and, and it, it's so funny how um how much we vilified that Colorado linebackers comment of like if we make him throw the ball we feel like that's his weakness and we mm-hmm. feel like that's where we can beat him and yet his weakness this season and nebraska's I'm not gonna say downfall, but Nebraska's weakness in a lot of games was him throwing the ball. Yeah, Uh, AJ Epinesa
0: said that too. Essentially, yeah, after the game as well. After he completely wrecked Nebraska. Yeah. God, that game is going on his highlight film um, for the NFL draft as he gets ready. Yeah, like the entire Um, game. Yeah,
1: Yeah. he destroyed that. Okay, back to the original point. Sorry, derailed you. This is 100% unacceptable, and it has to be viewed as an unacceptable season. If you want to go where I know Nebraska wants to go, this has to be viewed as, it can't be viewed as like, oh, well, this happened and this happened. No, it has to be viewed as like, we failed across the board. Special teams was a mess. It was hot garbage all season long. That has to be deemed unacceptable. They had starters playing on special teams. There's no reason that you should be giving up, in two out of three weeks, you give up kickoff return touchdowns immediately after scoring a touchdown. So there, that has to be unacceptable.
0: Such a letdown. <laughs> Running out of
1: bounds with forty-five seconds left, when you're playing, when you need to be playing for overtime at that point, and you have to know that you need to be playing for overtime at that point, has to be unacceptable. Getting this level of output from the offense this season that they got, they went back in almost every offensive, uh, every offensive category. They regressed from twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen. <laughs> when you pair that with. The defensive improvement that they got, because they got defensive improvement in statistical categories across the board, that has to be unacceptable. I mean, they outscored, they outscored their opposition by three points this year.
0: They did. That's
1: including the Ohio State game. They outscored teams by three points. If you take away the Ohio State game, they outscored teams by 44 points this year. They had, like you said, they had double-digit leads against Colorado wow. and lost. They had a double-digit lead against Indiana and lost. They had a double-digit lead against Purdue and lost. Colorado sucked. Purdue sucked. They only mm. beat Northwestern, who sucked Very by well. three points. And it took a, 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 an end-of-the-game field goal that, by the grace of God, got over the line of scrimmage. Like, those—and th- those they and Indiana was a good football team. Yeah. They no, don't suck like—they're Col- no. they're a good football team. But Nebraska had a double-digit lead. <laughs> those things have to be viewed as unacceptable. They can't be written off. Um, it, it, you can't explain them away if you're talking about, you know, we want to be a team that's competing for Big Ten titles. Like teams that compete for Big Ten titles don't blow double digit leads. Teams that are like Wisconsin does not blow double digit seventeen point
0: halftime leads. And that just much doesn't happen. less <laughs> multiple times in the same season, right? But th- but the thing is that here's here's where I have an issue though with not going to the, hey, yeah, but this happened. There are so many, to me, little things that should be fixable that went into their 5-7 and record this year, right? And I guess I don't know if we can still deem special teams little anymore, to be honest, but I'm going to try to (laughs) for the sake of this discussion. Um, If if we go into them finishing drives and some of the things that they did there, um, it, the explosive plays that I feel like they just didn't have on the outside, especially. Um, th- there are just things that like s- uh, tackling better. Um, there are just things that they should be able to re- like reasonably should be able to get better at that will then enable them to be, well, not better next year, but that yes, but also enable you to explain a little bit of what happened this season but at the same time though i'm still kind of on your side where it's it has to be viewed as a failure because to me there's a bigger picture problem with viewing it the way that i've mostly described it is that that doesn't lend itself to self-reflection self-scouting and changes that need to happen right and i'm not before people start tweeting i'm not talking about like wholesale coaching changes or anything like that i'm talking about different approaches Um, There's different methods and ways to get the point across in different style um, that needs to happen in in some key areas, and especially special teams.
1: Are you tired of the culture conversation? Because I am. I'm tired of hearing about how the culture isn't right.
0: I am, but I understand why it's talked about so much. And and, and I, I think about this often because you and I often talk about how you're tired of it. Um, and I think I keep going back to now two years ago when uh, at Big Ten Media Days. Remember when I made it a point? I did an article on um, like weight room culture for like a better term at schools like Iowa and Wisconsin. And so I set out specifically to ask those guys what that was like at those schools and like kind of when they like knew like what they what was expected of them and what they had to do and basically all would have been six of them six total players from and wisconsin said we knew from the day we got to campus what was expected of us as far as weight room was but also how we were supposed to act and behave and carry ourselves and work just in general at these schools now i think that every time the culture thing comes up i think back to that In Nebraska trying to get to that point where guys get here and they know exactly what is expected of them. They know it's going to be tough, but they know what's expected and they want to embrace that. That just goes back to it. I mean, it it seems like after the
1: last five post-game press conferences for Frost, he just kept saying like, or he kept sending across the message that like, hey, it's just going to take guys leaving for this to get right.
0: Which is a which is another thing that like I think that to me that's the part that rubs me the wrong way more because you just don't hear like a lot I'm going to say this plainly a lot of successful coaches you just don't hear that like I don't I, I don't then I, maybe I'm not paying enough attention to Matt Rule for example or Matt Campbell or insert coach that people like right now here um, Gus Malzahn Gus, sure Gus Malzahn like Hold up, can, not to
1: not to derail this. He his thing at the end of the Alabama game was so genius. He put the punter out wide just is to a, screw with
0: them, and call. that's
1: what that's what got them the the twelve men on the field because they had no idea how to how to combat. Like
0: that was that was solid. That was a solid troll job, dude. Um, it really was. Uh, Sorry, but yes, no, you're fine. Like you, but I just have a hard time picturing Matt Campbell saying week after week essentially we've got to get those old guys out of here or mac brown when he got to north carolina like there's a whole bunch of sorry i know you don't like mac brown old texas coach um but right but i just don't see him doing that either right like it's just that that's just something that is to me a red flag um and nebraska has to move past that frost has to move past the whole like we just need to get our guys in here. These guys have to leave. We don't have yeah, enough of a, them. The majority of guys are doing right, whatever. Well, Insert any of his pet phrases on that. That has to slow down or cease. It has to go away. <laughs> yeah, it has yeah, to cease. Because
1: it's, it's, <laughs> like, it, like it feels like an excuse making. It feels like a cop out. And, and I know so many people were like, well, just don't play the guys that are that are, yeah. culture kill. I mean, then you're benching your couple of stars right yeah. like you're pinching some of your best players um it's 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 one of those things where, like you said they they have they didn't have five and seven talent this year no they had better than five and seven talent and i, I wrote the, the and i keep talking about it the chase young piece after mm-hmm. the ohio state game Frost frosted if we had a chase young things would be better and, and yeah, probably. Yeah, well, not probably. Yeah, they would. Yeah, be every, they would be a lot better everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. That's the case everywhere. Like, <laughs> but but like I just went through on our website. I looked at the the all Big Ten teams. Like more than half of the three All Big Ten teams were former three stars or lower. Like it's not it's not just about having five star. Ohio State level talent. It's about like how how do you get those guys that you have to win and to execute.
0: Do, it's do you and and along those same lines. It's the question that keeps I keep coming back to about this season as well. Is do you think that they maximize the talent that they had? No. And no. that, to me, is the problem. And we've talked about this is the – compare that with, say, P.J. Fleck in Minnesota, who gets brought up here a lot now, um, where you feel like they completely have maxi- – they completely maximized what they had this season. Oh, 100%. Did they have enough to, you know, completely win the Big Ten? No. Um, they weren't there yet. And I feel like they ran out of gas when it came to that Wisconsin game last mm-hmm. week. Um, but they maximized what they had. I can't – for the life of me, think of the last time at Nebraska doing it's this, not just the Scott Frost thing, where I feel like after the season, man, they really maximized what they had on that roster.
1: And it's one of those things where like, it was either after the Minnesota game or the Purdue game that I wrote this that, that Scott Frost's hubris a little bit is, is getting in the way because it seems like it, it's a, we're going to do it my way and my way is going to work because it worked there so it's going to work here and mm. if it's going to work here it's going to be my way. It, it And it's almost to a fault. because And we saw it in the Iowa game. The swing pass stuff. It's not working. They don't have the personnel to do that right now. They have a bunch of small receivers that can't block and a tight end who's not very great at blocking on the perimeter. And they were missing their best blocker in the game. And yet they try to do offensive. They, they tried to throw stuff to the perimeter and then use their worst blockers on the
0: team to open up lanes.
1: And it just didn't work. And they kept doing okay, it. It's a
0: good tackling secondary.
1: Yeah. Like, that's what they do.
0: <laughs> that's that Iowa secondary. Like...
1: Like you said, self there. I I there. There needs to be a point, or there should have been a point already, where there is self reflection in, in the sense that, okay, what needs to be tweaked so that we can have success next year, and what needs to be catered to what we have, because you can't just get up there and keep lamenting about what you don't have. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to be successful with what you have. Like, we don't see Pat Fitzgerald getting up for his morning. Monday press conferences complaining about oh I don't have five star talent this I don't have five star talent that I don't have talent here I need more weapons here we need more we need more Joe Gaziano's all over the place everybody needs that hmm. Nebraska needs more Wando Robinsons yeah,
0: yeah but, but, so but you can say, say that about every school anyone, like yeah.
1: how, it's, it's about developing those dudes so that they are serviceable and that you can be competitive and it's about executing like Northwestern What was the thing that Scott kept saying about them leading up to that week? That they execute Execute. and they're not Mm going to beat themselves. So Mm -hmm. you have to beat them by executing better than them. Why
0: can't that be what Nebraska is until the talent gets to where Mm -hmm. they want it to get? And that's, I think, to me, I think that that's the biggest frustration that the fan base has had with this coaching staff so far. Is that people can live with the... I think people can live with we need to get more talent in here or we need to get the guys that fit our system If... They're also seeing a well-coached team that is maximizing what they have, that are, that's trying to do the little things. Um, like the penalties was the big, easy thing to point to, and that actually got better mm-hmm. um, because And that was something that was happening early, in that, especially in that first year and then a little bit early in this year, and it, and it really slowed down and they got better at it. The turnovers are another thing <laughs> that they continue to have issues with um, alignment, being, being lined up right and ready to go, communicating on defense, Like those sorts of things are the things that will, I think, drive the fan base up the wall when they don't see that on a weekly basis. And then they flip on other teams that you're like, wait a second, whatever team. And Baylor, for some reason, came to mind. Baylor doesn't really seem like they have any more real talent than Nebraska does. But boy, they seem like they're in the right position and they're just not beating themselves. And I think that that's what the fans would like. To, they'd like to see that ledger, that pendulum swing back a little bit more towards that, even if they're continuing to build that talent base um, that they really want to have. And I, I understand on that,
1: like, I don't have a, the full picture when it comes to play calling and things like that. But I, I, it's just, it. I question it whenever Adrian hasn't been good. Over, over the course of his first two seasons, he has not been good making the touch pass over the top mm-hmm. of the defense. And yet, that is a, a play that we continue to dial up for him. And, and, and I don't understand that. And running Wandale up the middle 15 times a game, I don't understand that. And throwing the swing stuff, I don't get Like Some of the stuff, not calling a timeout in the fourth quarter um, against Iowa on that last drive after the—, the the block in the back penalty, which, by the way, was stupid. It was a bad call. It was a terrible yeah, call. Yeah, that was a bad call. Um, but uh, Frost was asked about it after the game, and he said he thought about calling a timeout there just to
0: make sure that everybody was on the same page. He needed to call a timeout there. You're at the stage that, of the program where you still need to be calling those timeouts. Yeah, if you feel like... You, <laughs> like exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that needed to be a timeout where, that was called. And, and I mean, if you're playing for overtime at that point, it's not like you need them. It's not like you're uh, saving true, them for true. something. Yeah. So why not just take it, just to make sure that everyone is on the same page and everyone knows, hey, this killed us. Let's play for time. Don't make a bad situation worse. Because what they did is they made a bad situation worse. And those guys have. It, it, it just needs to. It,
0: the coaching needs to be better. It does. And there are things and I think that as you talk about adjustments and things and like that And they those, know that. They and know yeah, that. I think I think they know as well, but like when you talk about like that like kind of big picture game management stuff or you could talk about just um, the different calls on defense, we talk a lot about the offense and kind of those play calling and things that were happening there. Defense um, and getting one of those linebackers off the field so the teams aren't picking them apart in pass mm-hmm. coverage um, and adding another um, guy from the secondary who's been playing well. So you throw Braxton Clark in there uh, to be an extra defensive back who has been who I thought had a really nice season, actually, and I'm excited for his future. Um, there, There are things that we saw glimpses of with those adjustments. We just didn't see them. Enough, but back to the play calling real quick. I I feel like, and this is part of a, a a thing that happened during the season in which when they started running Wandale so much on the inside, and got away from Dedrick Mills for whatever reason. And I guess because you would say because the offensive line at that point was underperforming, and Wandale could make something happen back there because he has such good vision and he's good. He's a, he's very good cutting as well. I feel like they found something with using Dedrick Mills the way that we thought he would be used. And then if you can sprinkle if you can put Wandale back into the role that you thought he would be in and have that as a nice combination, I think you have something there, provided the offensive line picks up from where they are. And what I would think is and what made me think of is when you try lamenting the screen the swing passes, if you cut those in half and make those Dedrick Mills carries, I think you're more much more productive and you get your offensive line going. I think that part of what's happened here, and it's I think one of the hidden downfalls to this style of offense, is that your offensive line doesn't get fully engaged and lathered up because they know that they're not coming downhill to just hit someone in the mouth, right? It's a a different blocking scheme. Um, So that's just that. That's way off tangent and deep inside of offensive woes. Um, But it's just something I've been thinking about on what they need to do moving forward to kind of tweak and adjust this offense. Yeah,
1: no, it's just playing to your personnel.
0: Yeah. I mean, after the Ohio State game,
1: Matt Farnihock talked about how much they enjoyed as an offensive line blocking out of the I formation. And then we never saw it again.
0: We, really we didn't literally did not much, see it again. Think about how much people talked about that and how excited people were and how much the fans went nuts for that. We never saw one All more All season
1: long, we talked about how good of a decision-maker Adrian Martinez is in the option ground game.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, a, that was a
1: legitimate thing. Like He's a good decision-maker. He's good running the option ground yeah. game. We talked about how Dedrick Mills had found his comfort zone in a role that he had already played. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's trying to learn a new role. Part of, part of him this year is just took him a little bit to get into the offense and get comfortable in the offense. And he had an offensive line that was finally comfortable blocking in a way that they don't get to normally block. And then we never saw it again.
0: I would be curious- to say this out loud and then having somebody say, Well just go ask him um, at this next press conference. I would be curious to know why they never went back to that.
1: That's a big picture thing that, that we couldn't ask in season that we'll have to ask yeah, at, at f- the end of the season.
0: Whenever we get him for the signing day press conference. Yeah, it probably it's not gonna be until like December, the end of December. 18? No, middle December. They'll do a mid, they do a day of, right? do yeah. they do a day yeah, of Yeah yeah, they do. That's true. You're right. So we'll ask
1: him about that. When and he won't be, be interested because he wants to talk about the signing class. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Convenient excuse there. You <sighs> he, he, he really hated those swing passes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've seen a successful
1: screen pass from Nebraska in my like three years here. Like I No, can't, there's been... I can't think, no, 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 I can't think of a successful one. The one that you pointed out to me in the press box at the Iowa game was the one that got called back for a block-in-the-back penalty. <laughs>
0: okay. There was a really nice-looking one in the Iowa game that got... I think the, the guy a guy missed a block, and then it got, got knifed down. Is it just what
1: happens, dude, when you have... Think about 115 that. terrible ones. It's
0: hard to. But think, think about think the, of the amount of times, ones. though, that that happened to Nebraska this season. I remember we noted it at the Iowa game about one more block. Like would have sprung a play, like it, it, and that happened in the Maryland game. Think about Ramir Johnson and when he got in and got going. Um, and he was close to And Frost said this was close to popping a couple like that's another thing. And I don't know how we're going to quantify that um, going in next year. If it'll just be, hey, are those plays getting bigger and longer? Like, is that what's happening? Because it feels like there was, man, six, seven times a game this year where we were like, man, that play was set up nice. And the guy just completely blew it up because he missed a tackle, which also makes me think of. The whole stuff about Frost as a play caller. Are, are people viewing him as not as good of a play caller as you thought he would be because the play calls aren't working?
1: Yeah, it, it, this was my um, this was my frustration with the shovel pass thing on first down against Purdue after mm-hmm. they they got the turnover. Like, if it goes in, nobody says anything. Everybody's no, it's, like, it's ah, a sneaky <laughs> pick. <look> at him. <laughs> yeah, <but> he <laughs> did the same thing that they just turned. Like, if yeah, that, I mean that's that's the comment, but it, but it didn't work and it almost was a turnover. And so we're like, why the hell would you call that yeah so uh, i think I, al- I always try to be like couch those kinds of like well why are you calling it a certain way because if it works we're not talking about it right. but when it's not working and it's consistently not working maybe try something else maybe yeah. maybe um the other question that i that i'm curious to get your response on it after after what we saw We have the context of the entire 2019 season (laughs) without um, knowing anything that's about to happen over these next couple months in terms of attrition or or signing class guys um, surprisingly joining the class. (laughs) Since apparently guys are committing and decommitting uh, in like 24 hours now. (laughs) Weird (laughs) thing, What What should expectations be for 2020? just six and six in a bowl game or are we at a point where we're just like just hit that freaking threshold or
0: does it need to be higher it needs to be higher but i but i think that the benchmark needs to be get to six wins and get to a bowl game because it's just been too long and it would be the next step in of progress but I don't think that if they limp into six and six next year, that people will be like, "Oh, yay, we're we're back!" <laughs> like, it has to, it mean, has to be. I it's going it, to have to. be if, it, if it's six and six,
1: they are literally limping yeah. into the ball game because of the last five games on their schedule.
0: It it can't be that. Like, it needs it needs to be better than that. Um, and so I th- I think that they can do it though. Like, it, and that to me, you have to. I think I said this in that roundtable. Like, eight and four. Would make people feel good. That's a three-win improvement, and in theory, that's a season in which you don't you don't start off eight zero and then lose the last four or something like that. Like it it would be it would show growth. I think eight and four shows growth.
1: If they don't make a bowl game next year, no, I'm not gonna say that. Never mind. Um, they got a tough. They got a tough schedule next year. They have a very tough schedule next year, and some of the the games that probably two two or three years ago we thought were going to be pretty easy for them are not. Um, they've got Central Michigan, so they're at home the first four weeks of the season. Uh, it's a really weirdly um, imbalanced schedule. They're at home the first four weeks of the season. They play Purdue in the opener. They've got a Central Michigan team that's playing in the MAC championship game this this weekend. They went eight and four this season. They've got a South Dakota State team. Um, that took Minnesota down to the wire. They've got a Cincinnati team that's playing in the American Championship game. Um, that's currently ranked, and then they go Northwestern Illinois, Rutgers. Um, Northwestern and Rutgers are are on the road. Those games should be wins. Like if I mean, we're, we're sounding DEFCON one alarms if those games are wins. <laughs> Last five weeks of the season, they go at Ohio State, and these are all consecutive. No yeah. bye weeks. All consecutive at Ohio State, Penn State at home, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, Minnesota. <laughs> that's that's tough sledding. If they're not already bowl eligible before they hit the Ohio State game, like it's tough sledding. Very tough. And and I don't know how good Michigan, not Michigan, Minnesota is going to be next year. I don't know if PJ Flex is still going to be there next year. Um, like you said, they,
0: they. I mean, he he. <laughs> I mean, he really juiced the orange this year yeah. with that. And, um, and they're bound to be a team. They, they're they bound to be a team next year that comes in overvalued and then underperformed a little bit. Like, yeah, but Ohio but State going be so tough. good. Like, yeah, uh, Penn State good. looks set up to be the, really, really good. Though Woo. I could make the argument that next year, right this second, uh, I'd say Penn State better than Ohio State. Ooh. Uh, they're gonna have a Ohio State's gonna have a mass exodus of guys. Now they'll still have Justin Fields um, and a couple of those wideouts. And yeah, they're not gonna have the best player in the country anymore. No, they won't. And they won't have Jeff Okuda. And I feel like one more of those secondary members as well. Sean Wade. Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like they could into the J.K. Dobbins maybe. Like I feel like they could. They'll take a step back overall. But uh, they replace uh, Chase Young with a with a guy that you'll know soon named Zach Harrison, who ding was a five star. Uh, so, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But he will not be Chase Young, at least not right away.
1: Yeah. I was going to be seven or eight win Iowa again because that's just what that's just what they do. God it's, damn. it's legally li- legally mandated. That
0: they will have to. What, Nebraska. Whatever happens in those that Ohio State and Penn State game is going to happen. Um, but those last three games of the season next year are going to be so crucial. That will.
1: I, I mean, it it sets up so perfectly that the last three games of year three for Scott Frost. Year, I mean, well into the the period of time where he should be competing. You yeah. know, in a, in a way that like he was expected to be competing. The they should be competing are, for the are, West next year. Iowa, you know? Wisconsin, and Minnesota—like yeah. the three teams. That like, one, All right here, here it is. You, I mean, beat these teams.
0: Provided that, no, and it sounds weird to say this right now, but provided Nebraska just doesn't go completely off the rails early in the season, going three and zero in those last three <sighs> should win you the West. Yeah. And so that, and that's the type of thing. If, if you really want to make a statement and say, "Hey, we're on the right path," like that would be the way to do it. Like the opportunities will be there. Like Nebraska just needs to get there. And there is a whole lot of stuff that we have to see <laughs> in the meantime um, because we're not even sure who's going to be, you know, on the roster. Who's playing quarterback next year? I guess all of that stuff. Like there's a lot to sort out. Do you want to do a way too early record prediction?
1: Do you have have you thought about that at all? No, I have not. I have.
0: You have? have What is your way too early record prediction? Six and six, man. Oh no. (laughs) And
1: and limping. It's gonna be I mean, this is gonna be a a crucial off season
0: for a lot of people on this team. It's a it's a huge off season for a lot of guys, including some coaches. Um It's a huge time. It's a huge time for recruiting. Like, it's just, I don't, there's a lot still to happen. Like, a lot. And and we've got to figure out, like, think about it this way. And with where, where recruiting is and what potential attrition is and, like, guys getting better or not in the receiving core. Like, who knows what that group is going to look like next year? It could be, I could make the argument that it would be very, very good um, to, like, I'm talking about a, a, a top five of J.D., Wandale, Omar Manning, Xavier Betts, and then Cade Warner, conservatively. Like... Where's my guy at? Jamie, where's my guy at? He's in the mix below where's that. Where's my guy at? He's, in the, he's on special teams. He'd be out for <laughs> a walk on again? He can block. So, like, we're talking about blocking. But, like, that top five group, pretty solid, right? But I have no idea. The like, only if two of those guys warning be better blocker than a
1: better blocker than the field is because he's, like, three inches taller than them and, like, 50 pounds heavier than them. The only reason. Because the other dudes get thrown around like ragdolls because they recruited all the exact same profile of receiver. They're
0: trying to change that. Wait, yeah. <laughs> I'm aware, but I'm just telling. I mean, maybe them. too late. Like, they should have realized that sooner. They should have,
1: but, but at the same time, but it's, I it's, give, it's give, making those adjustments.
0: That is one of those it's, adjustments, it's actually. Having, <laughs> having
1: that, that little bit of self-reflection and saying, look, we, this worked at Central Florida, but this is just a different league and we got to recruit bigger receivers and they 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 to their credit they recognized it and and i don't think it was like a knee jerk reaction to the end of the season i think they recognized it pretty early yeah on, I, think
0: I think that started yeah, yeah that started long before that and then, honestly um you can point back to like some of the targets that they had early in the season and in the spring and then all of a sudden it felt like every new guy that came on the radar had some size to him, yeah. right? And I think that that was and – that, and, that and that happened in the season. That, that wasn't after the season where that started. And they, they made – they obviously did the offensive line adjustment after year one were like, oh, we need to get some dudes in here, and they brought some guys in on yep. the offensive line. And, um, the defensive line as well. Like I, I really think defensive line-wise, I think that they're trending towards really having a solid group. Um, with a lot of size. If a couple of the guys follow the way they want to in the recruiting class, um, me, you're going to be looking at a situation where I think the shortest guy that they've brought in is six 6'4". Um, it, it, there's going to be uh, maybe six 6'3". <laughs> um, there's going to be some really stout guys on that defensive line. I'm big on Ty Robinson. Huge on Ty Robinson. I'm big on Ty bright, Robinson. Right,
1: right. Him and Chris Hickman are already, um, like, sharpied in to the the top ten most intriguing Huskers good. list. Good. Real I intrigued can, by what Chris Sickman could do next year.
0: Can I, I can, can I, I can predict number one at right now on <laughs> December? 5th? I haven't thought about who number no. one would be, okay. but go well, for it. Well, actually, you, no. It's, it's funny. I was gonna say Wandale, but no, we already know he's gonna be really good. It's it's like it has it kind of has to be Adrian because of the fact that do you get the bounce back? Yeah. Not to do your work for it. Yeah, stop talking. Who would be number one? I don't know that. I don't. I don't know. It feels lazy to put the quarterback. I could make a case
1: for Dedrick Mills. I don't want to be lazy. Nick Henrich maybe.
0: Colin Miller. Whoever. Henrich is going to be fascinating. Whoever that as well. inside linebacker is.
1: Yeah. Like we talked, He's be we talked really a little bit about inside linebacker off pod. That 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 position is interesting. Nope. Yep. Um, nose tackle is interesting. Mm-hmm. After
0: um, the other the corner, that... is it like I don't, that? I don't think that that will get a lot of talk because I think people feel pretty comfortable with sliding Braxton Clark into that Lamar Jackson role. You just can give him that spot over Cam Taylor. But see, the thing is, is what do you? I, it's a this is a good problem to have. This is one of the position groups where it's a really good problem to have. Like, where do you play Cam Taylor next year? You just continue to use him as a slot guy or as a sub package guy. That's the thing because they, they clearly to be like him on the there fe-
1: better than safety. Yeah, yeah. And he does. You're right. He does need to be on the field.
0: He, he has to be on the field. And if they get you get Deontay Williams back and he plays the way they thought he was going to play, like you still have a really good secondary. Like that's an exciting group. But you have to. They have to get some help to really show what they can do next year. They need a pass rush to show pass up in Lincoln. It just it doesn't have to just be sacks. Like they need someone that they need guys they need to start making guys uncomfortable in the pocket and there is no greater example of that um than uh oh I just lost a Purdue. Third string quarterback comes in there, is completely comfortable. Yeah, his last six passes he completed. <laughs> starting with the original theme of the pod unacceptable
1: yeah thank you (laughs) unacceptable unacceptable. and he's a walk-on too Uh, now you got me uh oh now you got me riled (laughs) up
0: unacceptable
1: (laughs) Greg thank you for uh, thank you for handling last week yeah no problem I appreciate it and thank you for coming back this week it's been a hectic day (laughs) it's been a day we'll be back next week with another podcast it's the off season for football which means we're not going to be having people who cover other teams on the podcast to preview because there's obviously not going to be any games but we were we will still have podcasts uh every week so subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it rate and review i guess if you want to um
0: com, and we will be back next week